Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Football Social Daily, keeping you up to date with the latest from the English top flight. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League news, views, gossip and everything else you can think of every single day of the football season. I'm Jim Salverson, that is Lee Whitehouse. Hello, hello. That is Marley Anderson. Hello. And we've got absolutely loads to get through today. Pep has hit the panic button at Manchester City after their 5-2 loss to Leicester at the weekend. The checkbook is open and new signings are arriving. We're going to be talking to David Mooney from the Blue Moon podcast in our Floodlight Focus today, all about the new signing Ruben Diaz and the crisis in East Manchester. As usual on Wednesday, we're going to be dealing with your questions on any questions answered, wingers, European pressures and an interesting idea for Brighton's Graham Potter all poking their heads up there. And we're going to talk about Chelsea and their exit from the EFL Cup last night at the hands of a second-string Spurs team. I'm not going to talk too much about the game, but we're going to talk about the pressure that Frank Lampard is under right now. And we're going to kick off with a little bit of chat about Chelsea because there is breaking news as we begin the podcast. Ross Barkley, Chelsea player, or formerly Chelsea player, has now officially joined Aston Villa on loan, which is a great bit of business for Aston Villa, Lee. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I think that's a, a brilliant signing for them. I think he give he'll give them that little bit more attacking prowess which they need. Um, I think uh, off off air you you mentioned that it's a bit of a weird one because he he's very similar or, or kind of similar to Grealish, but mm. actually I think that's part of the reason why they've probably done it because they do heavily rely on Grealish, uh, and this will just give them a different dimension. Absolute brilliant bit of business for them, I think. Yeah, amazing. Marley, do you want to mention the fact that if you stop Jack Grealish, you stop Aston Villa and then go into some kind of point about bringing in Ross Barkley? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty pretty cut and dry of what I'm going to say. But now, if you stop Barkley and Grealish, then you stop Villa. So <laughs> at least it's another threat for them. It, it makes it makes good sense, this this whole thing. It's, it seems to have come out of the blue very, very quickly. But, you know, fair play to, to Villa. I've been quite impressed with what they've done in the transfer window this year. Um, and I think they've given themselves a... A shot, like a real shot, at sort of 
certainly staying up and getting a nice comfortable finish um, in the coming season. But I think Barkley's a, a good signing, especially for a year. You know, if if he doesn't do, if he's not the player that left Everton a few years ago, then you know mm. you, you've only you're not tied into him kind of thing. So it's a it's it's a move that suits all parties. I Isn't think. Isn't this a real last chance for Barkley? Do you think in terms of? You know, getting back to that level he was at at Everton—that's kind of. I don't know. He hasn't played badly for Chelsea. He just doesn't seem to have had the opportunities that he should have got. I mean, he was being touted when he left Everton as the next Paul Gascoigne, wasn't he? As any attacking yeah. midfielder who's English <laughs> tends to be. So I think I think he needs to go some way to recapture that kind of form and to fulfil that kind of potential. But I don't think he's ever been a bad player for Chelsea, and he's a player that. I think could have had an opportunity at many Premier League clubs. So good move for him. First team football. He does have the opportunity to recapture a bit of form. But if he does play, I think we'll see him in the England squad in the next 12 months or so. Yeah, I think he's, he's definitely England quality. I think, I, I, more so than Grealish, actually. I, I think he's a he's a better player than Grealish uh, overall. But yeah, big. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how those, those guys work together. That could... Uh, I mean, Villa finishing mid-table, that, yeah. that signing. That's uh, that's a good signing, though, I think, that is for them. Game changer. And that's praise from a West Brom fan as well, so it means <laughs> yeah. even more. Um, let's stick with Chelsea and talk about their match last night because it was the <laughs> EFL, incredibly, the EFL fourth round. I'm not sure that, how that happened last night. Um, Tottenham versus Chelsea. On the face of it, not that much of a disastrous loss for Frank Lampard's Chelsea going out on penalties after a 1-1 draw but when you look a little bit deeper into it it was very much a second string Spurs team and the Chelsea performance was for want of a better word disappointing and Lampard is already under a little bit of pressure this season Marley and this is just going to pile that pressure on I'm really interested as to how much time he is going to get at Chelsea to let these new, very expensive signings bed into life in the Premier League. Well, yeah, with, with every defeat, I mean, I mean, more questions are being asked of him, but I still think it's incredibly early. I mean, the transfer window's not even shut yet. Um, they could still add mm. more players. I mean, there's there's still links with, with Declan Rice and things like that, and little bits and bobs, in, you know, as we've seen today, the Ross Barkley move came out of nowhere. Loftus-Cheek's probably going to leave as well. Uh, Emerson might might go, and they've still got the goalkeeper situation to sort out. So there's still a lot going on at Chelsea, sort of um, on the training ground and behind the scenes. But you know, thinking until last night, I think they, they probably should have been out of sight at, at halftime. They were they were way uh, way better team in the first half. But you know, Mourinho's teams you can't you can't let them go into a halftime team talk and expect them to come out the same because. Mourinho put a bit of a rocket up them at half time and once Eric Dyer had uh, cleaned out his bowels by going for a, going for a quick poo <laughs> it was uh, yeah we've all been there it was um, you know they were a completely different side after after that and despite not playing they didn't start the game with a with a striker i think they had um, Lamella and Bergvine up front they were they mm. were the better team and and that's that reflects badly on Chelsea because i mean I don't know when. When did Harry Kane come on? It was in the second half, like fair bit into the second half. Seventy minutes he came on, so he only got twenty minutes. And in that time, then they, they managed to grab an equaliser through um, uh, Regulon. The uh, not Regulon, he, he made it the uh, the new sign in and put Lamella in. Lamella stabbed it in, and that was it. Once yeah. it goes to penalties, you you're under. You know, it's literally like the old cliche: it's a lottery. Anyone could mm-hmm. win it then. So. 
Although the goalkeepers just, were terrible. They they seemed to dive the wrong way on pretty much every single penalty. I think, yeah. I think Mendy went the same way on nearly yeah. all penalties that he went that they took. Yeah, yeah, I think so did Lloris. Everybody, they all went to the goalies left. And then it was almost like Lloris was playing a game because like, I think every time except one, I think it was uh, Jorginho switched positions, but all the other nine penalties went to the goalkeeper's right. And it was almost like Lloris was like, right, I'm going to dive to my left for the first four penalties. And then the fifth guy is definitely going to hit it to my right, which was Mason Mount. And Lloris went for it. And I think I think it hit the post. So he clipped mm-hmm. it onto the post or something like that. And it was almost like, yep, got you. Like you fell into my trap kind of thing. But, mm. <laughs> you know, that was that was the psychology of, of Lloris possibly. But it's it's, a, it's another blow for Chelsea. I think they'll, they'll still take positives from the game. I think Mendy was good, the goalkeeper. In um in open play, um and Werner obviously got off the mark with with a goal. So it's, that, that um, there are Ver- some things to be proud of. That was Werner's first goal in English football. I think everyone expected him to come to the Premier League and hit the ground running, but that just hasn't happened. And I guess that's kind of the situation Chelsea find themselves in. They have got a whole load of new faces. They've got. Havertz and Werner, and now they've got Mendy and Net, and they're probably going to bring in another defender, but. It just takes time, doesn't it, for new teams to gel and for players to get used to the pace of the Premier League as well, Lee? Yeah, of course. It is. It, there's no way that the, these guys are going to come in and just all gel straight away and hit the ground running. Um, I think he's, he's also, Lampard, has also had a lot of, well, he's had a bit of stick coming from uh, some of the TV pundits as well. I think even after one game, there was question marks about where Havertz her, would, would fit in and he's like, it's crazy. They've only, you know, they give, give the boy a chance. I mean, for me, the fact he's under pressure, he's bound to be under pressure, purely just because of one, he's at Chelsea, and two, he spent a lot of money. And I think that's, he's got to expect that. But for, him, for it to be this early, see, it seems a bit premature. Because mm. I, I had Lampard down as, he was actually, I had him down as manager of the year last year, just due to the where they finished and the restraints he had around signings and things like that. So I thought he did an absolute brilliant job he, he may have actually done too good a job last year because I think last year he had the he probably had a year's grace didn't he we, we all kind of discussed it when he first went in he, he probably doesn't need to he didn't need to finish in the top four and he didn't he probably didn't you know he didn't need to win a trophy mm. or, or, or he didn't need to get anywhere near a trophy last year either um, and he and he probably overachieved somewhat and now all of a sudden they've spent this money and the pressure is now going to keep on him it probably doesn't help that they conceded three at West Brom either uh, at the weekend. I mean, the, oh, you had you to know, mention it. They, <laughs> I had to mention it, uh, but no, the the fact that they did and the press really hammered him for that afterwards. It was all if you read the headlines, it was all very much our well, you've managed to get get out of jail and a great escape against a team you should be, you know, really put into the sword type thing. Uh, and I think this is this probably just jumping off the back of that a little bit, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. What the chairman does, I mean, where where is the pressure coming from? I, I don't see the owner. The media, the press, clearly. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think it's the. I don't think it's the owner though, mm. and that's why he's. That's the main thing for Lampard. Isn't it? As long as he's he's got the owner back in, which we know, Abramovich can be. Well, he, he can be temperamental. He likes to get rid of managers, doesn't mm. he? After a successful uh, season before, but. Because of who Lampard yeah, is, he'll have a little bit extra time though, won't he? Because he is I loved so, by the yeah. Chelsea fans, so that's going to buy him a little bit of time in the job, even if there is pressure mounting. But as you say, we're two, three games into the season. It's 
crazy to start talking about managers getting the sack at this point. The other talking point that came out of last night was from Jose Mourinho, who was having a little bit of a moan about the tight, tight game schedule, which we all knew was going to happen this year. So it's kind of a case of, look, shut up, Jose, get on with it. We're not even at Christmas yet. <laughs> That's when you're going to feel the pressure of these fixtures. But even though he had this patched up squad, and as Marley said, didn't really play an out-and-out striker from the off in that game, Deli Alley not even in the match day squad and he's not injured so even though Tottenham are down to the bare bones Mourinho doesn't feel that he can call on Ali what can we read into this situation is it a case that Ali has got his eyes elsewhere that maybe his time at Spurs is coming to an end Marley or is it a case that he's just not performing at the moment so Mourinho is going to look at other options uh, it's, it's, it seems like a combination of everything really um, if you look at you know, if you've watched the um, the Amazon documentary into Spurs, I think from from the word go, the minute Mourinho got there, he was incredibly sort of demanding and and uh, some would say harsh on on Deli Ali because he went in and he knew what type of character he was. He knew he needed managing and he needed sort of to grow up a little bit and to mature as a player and and be the 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 player that he can be and. It wasn't long ago that Deli Alley was one of the best players in the Premier League. He was bossing things. He was scoring 12 or 15 goals a season from attacking midfield and linking up with Eriksen and Kane, you know, but, uh, perfectly. So he obviously Mourinho wants to get him get him back to that. But I think the one thing, especially as well, has come out of that documentary is that Ali is incredibly um, prone to sort of mood swings and. He he doesn't seem the most sort of level-headed guy. He's he's a bit moody and a bit, you know, uh, temperamental. Immature. Yeah, yeah, immature. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there was one scene where he said, after lockdown, he'd he'd um, he'd cooked uh, beans for the first time uh, during during <laughs> lockdown, and the nutritionist <laughs> who he was telling was obviously had a face like, oh my god, what am I dealing with here? Um, and he said, yeah, yeah, I've. Um, yeah, it's easy, isn't it? And then she said, "Yeah, you just put them in the pan." He said, "No, no, I just put them in the microwave." And it's like you're twenty. I think he's twenty-four years old. I was obviously never cooked beans before, but it's it's just a little window into into what type of sort of person he is. He's had he's had that you know everything sort of done for him um, in his career so far. And then in another scene, he he had a he was moaning at everyone in the in the dressing room about how they'd conceded goals and Dyer, Eric Dyer ended up calling him out on it saying, come on, name names, tell us who we're doing, who's doing wrong, don't just say we're all crap because we're not, um, you know, tell mm. us what's going wrong. And it was just one of them where it, it sort of felt like he was always on the edge of kind of, go, you know, that, that relationship with Mourinho, because they're so hard-nosed, each of them, it could could go either way, and it seems to have gone gone south a little bit um, this summer because he's not getting in the squads. And Spurs are playing. I mean, Spurs play Sunday, they played Tuesday, they now play Thursday, and then they play again yeah. at the weekend. You think so he'd be using everything? Four games a week. Yeah, yeah it's it's an absolute yeah. it's madness. Four <laughs> games a week, and he's not getting in the squad for any of them. That's mental. Undoubtedly, he's a player with talent, and we have seen glimpses of it under Mourinho. When Mourinho first came in, Deli had the Deli Ali had this run of four or five games where he looked like his old self again but as we've seen with Mourinho at times at football clubs and I'm thinking particularly of um, Luke Shaw at Manchester United there's a shift in Mourinho's thinking sometimes 
that means a player is out in the cold and it's very difficult for them to come back. That feels like that might be what's happening with Deli Ali here to me, Lee. And I wonder whether he now needs to maybe look at that move, whether it's a move to PSG that he's been linked with, maybe it's a move to somewhere else in the Premier League in order to get that game time, refine that form and almost hit reset a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, you know Ali's probably fundamentally part what's wrong with Spurs in many ways in that they've they kept that squad together and it, we, we've mentioned it quite a few times the squad stayed together for so long they didn't make many you know, they didn't make any signings uh, last summer um, and the squad's gone a bit stale and I think Deli Ali's gone stale with it and unfortunately yeah he, he isn't the player he doesn't look to be the player that he was a couple of years ago when he you know he burst onto the scene and him and Kane were scoring goals from anywhere and you know he was he was brilliant in that one season. Um, yeah, he probably needs a move. And unfortunately, that move... Now, I mean, if PSG are coming, is that is that a good move for him? Yeah, you'll be playing with a lot better players. Uh, and he, you know, he could arguably improve there, although it's a, it's a league that we know that PSG will just win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's not very competitive. The problem is with him, I don't think the big teams are in for him now in the in the Premier League. You know, he, he could... Could he make the side... Arsenal would be a good step for him. That could be a good shift. I think what Arteta is doing there, but whether he'd ever get forgiven by the fans, but players have done it in the past. Uh, but I don't see. I mean, because I know United were in a couple of years ago. They were always linked with him, and I don't think that moves on now. It's a, where does he? Where does he actually go? Is he? Is he looking then at the the teams that are pushing? Is it like an Everton, the, you know, a team that's trying to get into that top six? And that for him, he'd probably see that as a backward step. And I, and I don't know. With the arrogance, or he's, he seems to have, he has a bit of an arrogance around about him, whether he'd actually take that move. So, mm. but I think he's, I do actually think his time's done at Spurs here. I, I don't think that, like you say, all the games that they're playing, they've got Europe, the European fixtures will be coming thick and fast as well soon. The fact he's not even in and around the, the match day squad. He's, a, he's definitely a concern for his future. Certainly felt like a bit of a signal from Mourinho, if nothing else. And there is never a dull moment with Jose Mourinho at your club and Spurs are learning that pretty quickly. Right, we're going to move on. We're going to be answering your questions next because as on a Wednesday, we like to tackle your queries via social media and that is coming up next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It is time to answer your questions that have come in via social media. You can get us on Twitter. That's at the Sports Social. You can get us on Facebook. Search Sports Social there. You can get us on Instagram. That is Sports Social Official. Confusingly, slightly different for every single platform. But if you want to find them all in one place, sports-social.co.uk. That is the website. All the links are on there. All the questions today coming off Twitter, boys. I'm going to start with Kieran, who seems to sneak a question in most weeks. And he wants to know, who is the best winger in London? And he's expecting this question to get controversial. So you need to say something slightly outlandish, apparently. I mean, firstly, I'm not really sure what a winger is and whether there really are any traditional wingers in the Premier League anymore. But if we're looking at wide players, who are we saying is our favourite in the capital? You can go firstly. Do you know, I, I don't... I was trying to think about this earlier. Who actually plays with wingers anymore? You know, the, you know I always think of flying wingers such as... You know, the Andre Kinchelskis when he was great. You know, that old, when United mm. used to play with them all the time, Ryan Giggs 
was always a brilliant wing. Yeah, yeah. Clubs don't play that way anymore, do they? So, um, to be honest, I'd actually go with uh, Zahar. I think he he's probably, um, in terms of the way he plays, the pace, uh, the power that he's got, the ability to beat a man, I think he's, if we're talking London clubs alone, I think he's one of the best uh, in London for that. Um, and he's, and this season he seems to have found a bit of form again. I think mean, he dropped off a bit last year, but yeah, I'd go Wilfred Zahar uh, for this question. See, on that, I, f- I find it hard to disagree because I think he is a superb player when he's having his day. But there is a reason why he's not being given another opportunity and a big club hasn't come into him and paid Crystal Palace's asking price of 80 million on quid or whatever it is for him. Yeah, but that's because he's 80 million pound. And I don't think... All the um, intention in the world, I don't think he's worth 80 million pound. Mm. Um, but in terms of his the ability he's got... You know, he's he's just another English player who he's, he's English, so he suddenly gets a stupidly high price tag attached to his name. Uh, Jack Grealish is one. Jordan Sancho, I think, is another one at the moment. Um, but in terms of his ability and what he can deliver for a team, you know, yeah, I I, I think that that move to United really hurt him, and it also hurt his mentality as well. I don't think he, you know, whether he's got the desire to push on to a big club again. That that's also the question marks around him. But in terms of the question for this, I think he's brilliant, Wolfgang. Not massively controversial. Marley, you're going to have to say something completely outlandish in order to keep this one on track. Who are you going for? Uh, well, I was thinking of going for Jeffrey Schlupp, but considering, um, <laughs> you know, Lee's already done the Crystal Palace thing, uh, players. So I think, um, I, th- I don't think there's there's an issue in what I'm going to say. It's not controversial, but I think, I don't know, maybe you might think it is. It's Gareth Bale. It's Ooh, 100% Gareth that's Bale. That's a bit controversial. Do you think? I think once once he gets back fit, I think we'll see that he's, you know, the things he's done in his career, the level he's been at, I think he, he automatically can come back in with that reputation of, I'm, I'm still world-class, I'm still a very, very good player. He was just badly treated at, at, uh, at Real Madrid for the last couple of years and not used as much and you know, whatever went on between him and Zidane, you know, we'll, we'll probably never know. But I think once he's back and he's focused, um, he's still going to be a hell of a threat. And I think uh, Spurs have, have, you know, they've got some good business there with paying half his wages and, and what have you. I think he's uh, he's going to prove that he's similar level to what he was when, when he left the Premier League, when he was tearing tearing everyone apart and smacking in 30 yarders when he felt like it and all the rest of it. But, I think if it's not Bale, I'd be tempted to go for Christian Pulisic at um, mm. at Chelsea because I think when you compare him to Zaha, I think Pulisic will score you more goals uh, each weekend and over the course of a season, I think he'll be the one who hits the net a bit more than Zaha. Is he still going to get a chance at Chelsea though, do you think? With the new signings that have come in? Yeah. They've got a lot of players that now play in that yeah, kind of position. Yeah, because he plays mainly from the left. Um, Havertz will probably be, play behind Werner and then Ziyech from the right I would say and have mm-hmm. you have you two midfielders behind them so I still think he'll, he'll get in the squad I think he's, uh, he's still got that hamstring injury at the minute I think where yeah. that I mean that might trouble him to be fair I mean how many times have we seen really really quick players struggle with hamstring injuries over the years but I think if he recovers quickly then or recovers properly then I think he'll, uh, he'll hit the heights that he did uh, last season in parts and 
once he gets a full season under his belt, I think he'll be uh, he'll be very very good player. Havertz is an interesting shout for this particular criteria as well, I guess. But it's too early to make a call on him and how he's going to impact the Premier League. I want to mention one of Gareth Bale's teammates as, and again, it, it's troubling the criteria you use to judge who's a winger and who's not. But if we're looking at those players that kind of come in from wide positions, what about Son at Spurs? He's one of those players that he has never had massive opportunities at Tottenham, but whenever he has had that chance to play, he's really impressed, I think, and always contributes. And we've seen already this season the goals that he's contributed to Spurs' performances. He's one of those players that I've always really wanted to see at my football club, and I think that speaks volumes when you can say that about a player. <laughs> yeah, you mean you mean you look at Felipe Anderson and Jared Bowen and go, God, I wish I had Son Heung-min. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I do like Son. I think he, he works. I, the key thing is his work rate is immense, isn't it? I, he, he's he's brilliant in terms of he's running. He just he doesn't stop running. He's support for the team. Mm. And he definitely knows where the net is. Especially the last, the last twelve months, he's really stepped up in terms of his finishing as well. You see, you know, he's got every right to feel probably a bit aggrieved to be behind Harry Kane in the pecking order, starting up front. But yeah, he's brilliant coming off that side. Um, somebody I'm, I was just thinking about is Willian. You know, we got he obviously moved from Chelsea uh, to get to Arsenal. But he's still he still offers a lot to that Arsenal team as well, coming in coming off um, from the wing. So he's an, he's another one who could be. Mm. Touted as one of the best in London. I think what we've proved is there's no one that's kind of the standout performer in that position, though, isn't it? No, I think it's because the teams don't really play with them anymore. I think that's what it is, isn't it? It's just that there's, you know, the the, the style of play has changed. The City and Liverpool have just changed the way teams tend to attack. We, you know, you got the one up front with people coming in uh, from the left and the right, or. You, you know, or it's just a front three, or you know, just mm. one up front, depending on how good they are. Uh, so yeah, you don't really see the wingers anymore um, because you you tend to get spare strikers yeah. stuck out wide as well, don't you? Yeah, well, that was something that Fergie used to love with Rooney, didn't he? he used to throw him out to the mm. wing just to, to try and shoehorn him into the side. Um, yeah, it's yeah, just, that role doesn't seem to. I think because of the pace of teams being able to counter attack now as well. If you've got a flying winger, you could ultimately, you know, get caught out in the turnover, mm. and suddenly you're short at the back. And teams are very reluctant to do that, especially against the bigger, the bigger teams. There you go, Kieran. So. Not massively controversial in our answers, but to be honest with you, I think we can blame the question rather than the answer. Not our inability <laughs> to answer it. I think the question was wrong. Uh, right, Nick B on Twitter wants to know how much has going deep into Europe last season, in his words, screwed up teams. And he calls uh, reference to the fact that Bayern lost 5-1 last week. So the teams that kind of had the extra week or two, I guess probably extra maybe two, three games, and that's it into the European season at the end of the Premier League. Is that causing extra issues for teams at the moment? I suppose we can hold Manchester City as the example, as the team that went deepest from a Premier League point of view. They've struggled at the start of this season. Can they point a finger at their European adventure and go, that's the reason? Uh, it's a million dollar question, I suppose. Um, I think if you look at the, the start Man United made, then you, you know there's possibly something something in mm. that. Um, I think where the, where the Premier League almost went wrong was was giving um, Man United and Man City the extra couple of weeks off because instead of 
helping them where the players could go on holiday and stuff. They just missed out on a week or two weeks of pre-season and also um, ended up looking off the pace in the uh, in the first couple of games, With certainly in regards to Man United. If you look at their first game against um, Crystal Palace, they all, they all looked tired. They all looked like they were playing the first 90 minutes of the season, where whereas Crystal Palace had played 90 minutes the week before and came out sort of a, that that little bit more match fit. And that's where you'll get the biggest difference between that first game and the second game. Um, and Man United had to go into it cold and ended up getting stung. So there's possibly something in this um i think mean, i wouldn't read too much into into bayern munich last week uh, getting hammered by hoffenheim because i just think i think they they didn't play uh, i think lewandowski was on the bench for that and also bayern are going to absolutely walk that league as they always do so i wouldn't read too much into that one but with the english teams as well you've seen it well with leicester beating man city um is there a bit of bit of uh sort of fatigue in the legs still from from not a proper summer it certainly looks like it early on what do you think lee do you think it's a matter of players just not being rested because it wasn't a massive extra commitment from a european point of view for these teams but as marley says maybe it's more a case of they've just not had the same pre-season they've not been able to hit the ground running in the same way that the other premier league teams have yeah i, I do agree with marley in that and i also think that again the error was these teams went far in those tournaments. I mean, they were actually in very good form. So, and it's all about, you know, a lot of it, they always comment on momentum, don't they? And say, you know, it's all about keeping it going. And maybe the break, the break has probably hurt them because they've lost that bit of momentum that they had in the European fixtures. I mean, City, I think City, the result against Leicester, actually, I think that's just underlining City's weaknesses. And I think there's more issues at City than, um, than what, People see from the than what we actually believe that is from the outside, and I think Leicester just exploited them, uh, and and that that result it's a bit of a freak result. But when you looked at City against Wolves when they came back, they were absolutely phenomenal. I know Wolves had them on the ropes a bit towards the end, but Wolves were at home and Wolves, you know, were pushing to try and nick a, a nick an equaliser. But for that first half, Wolves were absolutely destroyed. So you can't say City came out slow in that game. They um, they could have been four or five up at half time quite easily. And I think with Man United, I don't know whether that's again they've just got problems that maybe they finished last season as as kind of overshadowed a little bit. I, I think there's there are there's there's a few problems at those two Manchester clubs defensively that both see both teams need to sort out, and that's probably why they've um, struggled more. Than, than what we thought they would mm. more than anything else. And again, like I said, the, the, the break in momentum. So going back to the point earlier about Mourinho saying about the fixtures, um, you ask Mourinho if he's in the in the Carabao Cup final or if they win it, whether the fixture pilot was too much of a problem for him. He'll say no because it's all about momentum at that point. So it go, it's up and down, isn't it? Um, mm. But yeah, I don't think the European things. It hasn't helped. I think the gap to move the the. Moving the fixtures hasn't helped them. I don't, I don't think going in deep into Europe no. has, has really caused a problem. And like, as I said to Mourinho earlier in the 
programme. If you're feeling fatigue now, you wait till we get to December, January time. Yeah. It's going to be a serious problem then. Final question is from Sand Pradhan, who is an Aston Villa fan, by the way, before we accuse him of being a Brighton fan. But he wants to say, is Graham Potter a future England manager? He says, I can't believe how little credit he gets for his football and his management style. Fearless and principled and a much better tactician than Gareth Southgate. Is he England material, Marley? I mean, it doesn't take much to be a better tactician than Gareth Southgate. <laughs> um, he's probably got as good a chance as any, I suppose. I mean, <laughs> Damning. You know, he's, yeah, he's, I don't know. He's, he's English. He's in the Premier League. He's done. He's done well with Brighton, I think. You you kind of want to see Brighton get towards sort of mid table um, with his tactics for him to get properly appreciated. I think they finished fifteenth in the last two seasons. Um, obviously, only one of them under under um, Potter, but you know you can still look at Potter and say, well, he didn't improve Brighton's league position, even though he improved their style of football. Obviously, then you know you, you've sort of you've got to have the proof to go with the pudding kind of thing. So it depends on on Southgate as well. I think the way England have looked at things in the in the past um, uh, sort of few years, they've tended to to promote from within. Um, Southgate had never never managed in the Premier League recently when he got the England job. Um, he was the under under twenty ones manager. So if they they stick with that style, then Potter's obviously got no chance. But if they go outside and and try to go back to the uh, the kind of thing that they have done with the likes of, you know, Allardyce and sort of picking play uh, managers that have been around for a bit, then Potter would be in with a shout, I suppose. But he certainly didn't do, uh, certainly hasn't done himself any harm with with what he's done with Brighton and is promoting youth and you know, nice, comfortable, nice to watch football is uh, is certainly going to win him a lot of fans. Ultimately, I suppose, Lee, it's a completely different job managing at a club level and managing at an international level because you don't have that day-to-day interaction with the players. It's more, I guess, scouting and then man management than it is going (laughs) deep uh, into the training ground. Yeah, I I think he's he's done a a very good job at Brighton. He's come out of nowhere in many ways. I mean, he wasn't... He wasn't much of a player, believe me. I watched him for West Brom when he played at West Brom. He was pretty, pretty awful. I think he doesn't he... look like a footballer, does he? He <laughs> no. doesn't have the kind of right build, almost. No, he, he actually, I think the one game he they actually made him be our um, mascot for the game. There's an interesting <laughs> fact for you. He was actually wow. he was in he was in the Baggy Bird uh, at, at one game. <laughs> really? No, I actually this is a this is a true story. When he played for West Brom, um, I forgot what game it was. I remember. Uh, it was the first time we had a baggy bird, but apparently the guy uh, who was meant to be baggy bird didn't turn up, and um, they because Potter was he didn't make the match day squad, so they asked him to be baggy bird, and he went into the uh, he actually went into the costume and was baggy bird for the, <laughs> for the entire game. No that's, way. That's how poor a footballer he was. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Go, uh, going back to the, the question on in England, I think he's. He's got a good chance of. He's got a good connection with England in that Dan Ashworth's now at Brighton. He was obviously at England before, and and I think there's and that's how Southgate was promoted within as well through Dan Ashworth's link. So there is there is probably a, a greater chance for him uh, in terms of that connection to get a view on England. But as Marley said, I, mean, I think the, the way England are going, they're, they're trying to build 
there's um, a, a platform that, that we promote from the under 21s up. So, and I think that's probably the better way to go uh, from a structural point of view. Uh, so unless something devastating happens to Southgate in the next um, 18 months, uh, I don't I don't think anybody else will be in for a looking really. So I think the FA will be planning mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the successor to Southgate um, once he's given them the nod to say, look, I'll be going over a period of time, and I think that's how they'll they'll approach it. But he's, you know, take nothing away from him. He's done a great job uh, um, uh, at Brighton in terms of getting the quality. But I think a lot of people thought they would go last year, and in the end, I think they were, you know, they were they ended up being pretty comfortable. So yeah, but you just see what he does this year. I think this is probably the bigger year for him. He certainly seems to potentially fit the model that the FA have for a future manager wherever that whenever that point comes that they that Southgate moves on and they get someone else in it's not going to be a delve into Europe and bring in the big name like a, um, no. a Fabio Capella or anything like that it is very much English homegrown supporting young talent essentially isn't it yeah and I think it's just but then there's other managers out there that you'd probably put pot, uh, probably put ahead of Potter um, mm. you know so there's He's, he's got. He's still got to prove himself for me to to be a. You know. Then, but then, like Marley said, Southgate kind of came over. I think the the World Cup kind of has given Southgate the the time, hasn't it? If we had a if we had a poor World Cup and not got to that semi-finals, I think that would have been a would have been a different story for him. Right. Thank you very much for your questions this week for the AQA. If you want to get him in for next week, you can do so at any point during the week just find us on our social media channels like I say there's a full list of them on the website sports-social.co.uk we're going to be talking Manchester City next with David Mooney from the Blue Moon podcast as Manchester City go under the spotlights for Floodlight Focus Football's Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It is time for our floodlight focus today. And it's a very timely floodlight focus because after some transfer activity at Manchester City, we get to talk to David Mooney from the brilliant Manchester City podcast, Blue Moon. Hello, David. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having a chat with us. It's exciting times. Well, exciting times from the outside, probably slightly nervous times from the inside, (laughs) yeah, for Manchester City at the moment. The big news where we should probably start is the arrival of Ruben Diaz from Benfica, as it was announced last night. Big money defensive signing, 68 million quid, I think, is the fee that's been mentioned. Is he going to be the man to come in and sort out Manchester City's defensive issues? Well, I'm probably the wrong guest to talk about this because uh, I I first heard (laughs) of him on uh, about Wednesday last week. Um, well, that's it. So, no one. He I, seems to have come completely out of the blue. For a defender that commands a 70-odd million pound transfer fee, he seems to be a player that either people know nothing about or people pretend they know something about but actually know nothing about. Yeah, I'm not going to do that thing where people go, oh, yeah, well, he does this, this and this because like, if he doesn't, then I'm going to look a fool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know anything about him. I think um, like it, it's been perfectly obvious for the last... 
what, 18 months, City have needed a defender. They never replaced Vincent Company when he left um, with the idea that Fernandinho would drop into the back four and, and become that defender that they wanted. Uh, well, that's all well and good, but they need him in the midfield. And so, I, I, again, the, the two games they mm. played this season, uh, Wolves were kept at bay by the fact that the Fernandinho-Rodri axis was, was working quite well in, in breaking them up. Uh, as soon as he removed Fernandinho from the game against Leicester, it fell to pieces. So I, I don't, I, I don't want to contemplate the idea of not having Fernandinho in the midfield anymore. Um, so I guess they, I guess it makes sense that they had to go out and get a defender, especially if uh, Otamendi wanted to leave and uh, and Benfica were willing to take him. I think there's the the the, the mild bit of panic I have is that uh, not that I hadn't heard of him. But that it like it was like just not on the radar for so long. Um, they, they wanted Kounde, they wanted Koulibaly, they didn't get either of them, and then suddenly out of nowhere, this is the lad that's going to solve the problems. So it's kind of a, a kind of wait and see moment. Mm. He, might, he might well solve the problems, um, but I, I kind of want some evidence of that first. <laughs> I mean, the, the fee alone, sixty-eight million pounds, that is instant pressure on a player to perform, and we know that. In recent history, Manchester City haven't always got those signings right. Well, this is the thing: City get hammered for um, the amount of money that they that they've spent on defenders under Guardiola, and I kind of go, well, that there are like there are some mitigating circumstances in that, like like they got they, they needed when he arrived, they needed four new fullbacks. They like they they couldn't they could they couldn't have uh, have produced the sort of football they did with Clichy and Zabaleta in their aging years. Mm. Uh, so they needed to go out and get fullbacks, and then. Um, you know they let they were left high and dry with uh, Danny Alves, who they thought they were getting for free, and then it turned out he was off to PSG instead. So then they were like, "Well, we can't we can't go out and get four. We can't spend as much money as we want on four fullbacks, so we got three instead." And then Danilo wanted to leave, and that kind of screwed plans again. So they had to spend more money to get another fullback in when he went. So it's like like I have some sympathy. Um, <laughs> but then again, you kind of say, "Well, have they had value for money in a lot of these positions?" And and the answer is probably not. You know, even I mean, it's it's mm. been a traditionally tricky situation. I don't like. I, I don't think Otamendi was a great fallback for City. He had one good year in in, in five. Um, Mangala was is the is the the headline one that everyone always goes back to for the amount of money they paid. And listen, it, it just comes down to you don't always get what you pay for. It's as, it's as simple as that. You mm. look look at Manchester United; they haven't had value for money out of the players that they've bought in recent years. Um, it, 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 it's it, it's it's a kind of a two way street, and so if you if you look at the fee alone, then you'd say, oh well, this guy's got to be good because of the fee that they've paid. But actually, in reality, like he, he might fit well into the system, and uh, and he might not. Look at Vincent Company, who was a stalwart of City for what ten, eleven years, uh, six million. It yeah, just, yeah. Like it, the fee is not reflective of how the player is going to play. Um, I, I I just think that, uh, or I like to think that these days City are, are at least when they go into to, to make a transfer deal that they at least kind of weigh up the character of the player and, and, and how he'll play. And for that reason, I kind of, I kind of hope he settles into city quite quickly. They, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of that many that they've got spectacularly wrong in recent years. Um, and I suppose that's that's to the club's credit. He looks absolute nails, which is all I know about him. Like you say, he's a name that I hadn't <laughs> even heard before Wednesday, but he looks like he could bring a bit of steel to the City defence just with his haircut and nothing it's, else. It's those cheekbones. Yeah. It's those che- <laughs> they're only signing players with, with, with steely cheekbones. <laughs> it's a tactic. Blue steely cheekbones. Um, were you disappointed yeah. in any way to see Otamendi leave? Because he's been much derided in recent years. He's been a figure of fun people have panicked when they've seen him in the lineup but he has been a decent servant for Manchester City through the years when when was that <laughs> the decent way he's been there <laughs> uh no I like I, I, I do feel a little bit for him um 
I, I, I do start to wonder if his failings are down to the the, the lack of protection afforded to him in front of him. Mm. Uh, because the, the good season he had was when he played most in that 17-18, 100-point season. Um, and that was the year where Fernandinho was was in front of him and, and, and uh, screening everything. And the team were playing the sort of Guardiola-esque football that was high pressure at the other end. Um 18-19, he didn't really play that much. Uh, last season, when he did play, he looked at a train wreck, and that was larger because there was nothing protecting him in front of him. And the the, the season he had under Pellegrini, where, um, again, there was very little in the midfield to protect him. So I, I, I wonder if part of his problem is is that the team weren't set up to be able to, to, to kind of help him. Um, I, I guess the counter argument to that is that if you're playing in City's team, you've got to be good on one-on-one defending. And he just he just wasn't. He didn't stand players up and he dived in too much. Um that it's, I'm not so I'm not sad to see him go. I I think he's you know he served the club well and uh, he leaves with kind of best wishes and all that sort of stuff. But I I, I think that the time was definitely right. The press absolutely love a crisis club. I mean, it doesn't take very much for a club to be plunged into crisis, according the to the back pages of the paper. But you look at Manchester City at the moment, and there does seem to be an issue there. If we take the Leicester City game, I mean, obviously losing five two was a massive disappointment. Do you, is it a personnel issue? Is it that Manchester City just have too many injuries? They don't have the right players at the moment? Or is there something a little bit maybe deeper that's wrong within the club at the moment? That maybe, maybe I mean, people are suggesting Guardiola's kind of lost his fire and there needs to be a change there. I'm not sure I quite buy that, but it doesn't feel like it's quite right at the club at the moment. How long have you got? Um, I, I, I don't, I, I, the funny thing is, is I don't know the answer to this question. Um, I think... Like I don't think Guardiola's lost it. I think he's he he has his idiosyncrasies that I think um, for whatever reason against Leicester he just he, he, like he 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 made a massive wrong call and that's not like him. Um, he the substitution of Fernandinho on on fifty one minutes or so like. First things first, he never makes early substitutions, and mm. that's that's ridiculously early for him. And the second thing is, he, he always like he is he's fixated on controlling everything, making sure that everything is is controlled. And so, therefore, as a manager that actually weirdly is is quite risk averse, he doesn't like his players to to do things that are either out of out of character, out of the system, or or that will present a problem later down the line. It's why the whole penalty debate thing where he was saying that Edison's the best penalty taker in the club. It's why Edison was never ever going to take a penalty because he was never going to leave an open goal at the other end if he mm. if his goalkeeper missed. So for him to 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 sub on an untried, untested striker in the Premier League, who admittedly had, had a great game against against Bournemouth in the midweek, um who was 17 and inexperienced to throw him into that game and then remove a defensive midfielder in one of the most like risky tactics he could have done. At a time when City were controlling the game pretty well, Leicester would have been happy with their performance to that point. I don't think City should have been unhappy with their performance to that point. They were they were in control with the ball and, and, and were, were putting Leicester under pressure at times. Um, it just seemed like a really, really risky move to make and then it backfired. Um so I, I don't get the thinking behind that. Um, Is that, that the old Guardiola overthinking things again that's well, been levelled at him down the years? This is it. I'm not sure he does overthink things either because like it, he only ever overthinks things when they go wrong. When they go mm. right, then he's he's a genius at work. So I like I I I put it to you that we that we forget the times <laughs> that he uh, get that he overthinks it and gets it right, and only remember the times that he overthinks it and gets it wrong. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the, the city's biggest issue has been 
exposing the centre backs. And I mean, look, like if you told me that City were going to concede three penalties in a game, certainly this season, I would have expected one of them or two of them to have been for this ridiculous new handball situation that we've got into. But yeah. no, every single one of them was a stone wall push over in the box. Like it, like it, it just for them to get themselves into that position, there's something clearly not right. And I, again, I think it comes down to the fact that, that he broke up that, that Rodri uh, Fernandinho axis. I'm not convinced Rodri is the player that they, 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 they need to halt to kind of anchor the midfield on his own when he's with somebody else. or he's got somebody else alongside him. I think he looks better. Um, weirdly, I don't think it looks that great when it's Gundogan that's next to him. Um, so I, I think it's, I, I think it's partly a personnel issue. Uh, I think it was partly a Guardiola decision-making issue. Um, and then just, again, the, the old one-on-one defending frailties came back to bite them, I think, in the end. Last season was supposed to be the transition and it was supposed to be this season that was, was the title challenge. Are we now looking at another season of transition and then next season becomes the next title challenge? Uh, we'll see how it goes, I think. Um, they, I, I'm not going to rule them out the title because it's it's two games into the season and all it yeah. takes is, you know, let, let, let's Liverpool... It's gone, just, it's over. Yeah, <laughs> if, if Liverpool get a few injuries, like I mean, City have had... Like, the, the injuries City have had have been ridiculous. And then on top of that, having, what was it, in the in the start of the season, three players uh, contract COVID and have to isolate and so be away from the team and not in the, the kind of preparations and stuff. It's, it's not been ideal. Um, I get that everybody else has to deal with that as well. Um, um, but but on top of the what six seven injuries they've had as well, it's they've they've been down to the bare bones. So it's it's that that's a that's another issue. So if you know all it takes is a few injuries to Liverpool, and then suddenly that that door is uh, is wide open again. Um, I, I again I wouldn't rule them out the title for that reason. They just have to make sure that it doesn't spiral out of control like last season did. By the time they went to Anfield last season, they they were. You know, one defeat away from from losing it, and well, they never win at Anfield, so that was uh, that that was always going to be an issue. Um, so I, I wouldn't rule them out of the title just yet. I do think that uh, there is, uh, let's say, room for improvement on the start of the season. David, good luck for the season. It's been a pleasure talking to you. If people want to find more from the Blue Moon Podcast, any City fans looking for an audio home, where can they find you? Uh, we're on bluemoonpodcast.com, but just stick it into your usual podcast provider. You'll find us there. Nice one, David. Thanks for joining us. Brilliant. Thank you, Jim. Right, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Lee, Marley, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Cheers, lads. And we'll see you next time for another Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.